All right, hello everyone, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is Tim Phillips, Candace LaPage, Peter Salmon. That almost went off without a hitch, and I'm so grateful. But I'm also just grateful that it's uh, end of the year and we have the full panel here. Uh, as usual, to do our top five of the year. So can I just get like, like it, a cheer? Like everyone's super excited. We're ready to go on this. Woo-woo! Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Woo. All right, my yeah. twenty-two, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I think Peter gave maximum effort on that enthusiasm. So we'll have to work on that through the show. Uh, all right, End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans, and we're here every Wednesday at three p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be, as I said, our top five lists of the year. So uh, as we do at the end of every year, we take a couple of, well, we take this hour and we each give our five best, most favorite, most awesomest picks from uh, the five best movies of the year. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, some tough calls had to be made when making my list this year. Any any disagreements? No, oh, I yeah, uh, way more uh, difficult than 2021. Uh, 2021 was crap in my opinion. So yeah, 2022 is uh, <laughs> it's difficult picking. It was difficult for sure. Anyone want to raise the stakes for 2021? Uh, <laughs> everyone feels that one was crap. It was a crappy year in general, I think, and it probably <laughs> reflected when we we're watching movies how we felt about them when we were watching them. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go in order as we, we start off the show. Uh, so, Tim, you are going to start us off with your number five pick. Thanks, Adam. So my number five pick is Triangle of Sadness, which is a biting and hilariously perceptive satire of the uber-rich, uber-rich wannabes and those who serve them. Uh, it follows Carl, who's a male model, and Yaya, who's a female influencer, and who are dating and the movie starts with a real uncomfortable awkward comedic conversation uh that director ruben ostland did so well in force majeure which Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite movies of the last 10 20 years um he perfected it in that movie in this case it's uh carl um is at dinner with yaya and it's um slowly and hesitantly he's revealing that He's resenting having to pay the bill because she makes way more money than he does. Um, And it it just gets really awkward. And uh, Oslin's really good at those awkward conversations. So uh, Carl's very hesitant to say anything. And then eventually it all comes out why he's feeling so uncomfortable in the situation. And then that makes yeah, yeah, even more uncomfortable. So there's big argument about money and gender roles. And I think it's a good jumping off point for the rest of the movie, which is all about power struggles between, you know, the wealthy and the servant class. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty on the nose when it comes to that. And so later on, Carl and Yaya are invited on a super yacht because yeah. um, Yaya is an influencer mm-hmm. and they, they're invited to go on there, take pictures and really promote life on a yacht, on a super yacht. And that's where we meet a lot of eccentric characters. 
so we meet a Russian oligarch who's made his wealth selling fertilizer. He uses another word for it. He uses the S word. He's like, nice. Made my <laughs> living doing this. And then you have, um, you have a British couple as well who've made the sweet British couple, older British couple who've made their fortune selling weapons, uh, war, <laughs> war weapons, hand grenades, uh, bombs, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, and, and then there's also like the American star in the movies, Woody Harrelson, who plays mm-hmm. the, who plays the captain of the ship. And we don't see him for a while cause he's drunk in his room for most of the time. So the crew's trying to get him out of his room and the, the leader of the crew is just the epitome of professionalism the whole time saying, okay, we need to get you out for the captain's dinner. Um, <laughs> Any requests that the guests give to the staff, you know, we have to, we have to oblige their requests. And then like a request comes that, oh, you guys are working too hard. Uh, Why don't you all go for a swim? (laughs) (laughs) And so they're like, okay, all the staff right now, get on the water slides. You're all going for a swim right now. We're going to shut everything down. So it, it shows just sort of like the whims of the uber wealthy and how, they control that situation. And there's a real interesting gross out scene that uh, has gotten a lot of attention in the movie too, mm-hmm. um, which it's not a spoiler. Cause when I watch this on Apple TV, the picture I clicked on to watch it was of <laughs> someone projectile vomiting. So nice. you'll get a nice prolonged <laughs> gross out scene on a, on a yacht uh, with, with the uh, everything you want there. Yeah. <laughs> and more. Um, but then it really flips. There's a, a twist where it really flips and I won't give that away, but it's, it, it's, there's a, a shift in the power struggle and we see a spotlight on cleaner and toilet manager, Abigail, mm-hmm. who's played brilliantly by Dolly de Leon. And I, I thought, yeah, she was sensational in this role. And I uh, I know she's going to get a lot of credit for it going forward. Um, and it's Woody Harrelson is fine. He does really well. He's really funny. Him and the Russian oligarch play off each other quite well. Uh, it's a little, a little too spot on some of the commentary about capitalism and socialism. They actually are referencing actual like Karl Marx and stuff during it. Uh, but I, I felt like as it went on, you, you can see how, you know, we're all, we, we, we all live in, um, I'm sure everyone on this call in a certain sense lives in sort of comfortable situation. And, you know, that is not just the Uber rich who are helpless and, and useless yeah. in a lot of ways. So I thought that was a good, good point, uh, given in the movie. And then I thought the two leads are really good. Harrison Dickinson, Dickinson, who's a British newcomer who plays a male model and Charbly Dean, who's a South African actress and model who plays Yaya. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she, she just recently died um, from a viral infection uh, in August, 2022. So it's wow, pretty wild news. Um, so yeah, a lot of critics who wrote notices about this movie were saying, wow, that was, she showed a lot of promise. This was like one of her first big movies and, Unfortunately, that took place and it's won the Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival and Ruben Ostlund won it before for a movie called The Squid. 
Square, which I haven't seen and I, I would like to see. Um, and like I said before, Force Majeure, I think one of the best movies of the 21st century. This guy, <laughs> he's really pulls no punches. I think in this, sometimes it's a little too obvious, but I think for the most part, it's quite entertaining. And I would definitely recommend Triangle of Sadness, number five on my list. Uh, I wasn't able to squeeze it in um, before the end of the, the year here, but uh, yeah, it's it's on my catch-up list for sure. Okay, Candice, you're number five. All right. Um, I had a really hard time this year. I basically had to like figure out how to choose between uh, two five-star movies and three four-and-a-half-star movies and figure out like which were actually better than which. Uh, so oddly, I actually have one of my five-star movies as as my first pick of the year. I do try to go a little, you know, least least recommended to most recommended, but obviously they're all highly recommended. Mm-hmm. So anyone mm-hmm. who knows me knows that I think that uh, The Thing is a perfect film, uh, which is probably why this film got five stars, because this uh, this summer a uh, Canadian version of The Thing came out called Slashback. Um, it's a, a Indigenous-led uh, film and Indigenous, excuse me, Indigenous-acted film. Uh, it's basically The Thing in an Inuit village with uh, four teenage girls. And by teenage, I mean like, I think they're supposed to be about 14, 13 or 14, like they're they're young. And so we've got this great sort of storyline of this alien landing and taking over people's bodies. And all of the adults, of course, are sort of out of town because there's a dance in the like next major sort of city or town. So everybody's <laughs> off, off, you know, out of the village. And it's just the young people who are left and they're there trying to fight this this bad guy uh who's trying to take over everybody's bodies and it's just it was it was so refreshing like everything about this film just made me feel good um it is it is entirely indigenous like all of the actors they went to this this community called pang um it's actually called uh pang Nyutung in uh none of it Mm-hmm. So they filmed there. All of the uh, people that they hired to act were sort of people who kind of lived in the village. So the acting is a little, um, it's not top notch because they used sort of real, real people. <laughs> um, and, but I think because of that, it gave it so much more sort of charm and so much more authenticity to hear these, these girls, because it's four girls um, who are friends and, you know, to hear them sort of interact with each other and kind of reminds you that, you know, when you're that young and especially when you're in a small place, you're not necessarily friends with people because you have a lot in common. And these four girls are so different and they have so many different views about living in their community, um, being Indigenous, uh, you know, enjoying their heritage, wanting to to do what their parents do, all that sort of stuff. Some are very proud of it. Some are just trying so hard to get away from it. Um, and it causes a lot of friction between between the groups. But then in the end, of course, they all just come together because they do care about each other because they're all, you know, they're they're the same, they're the same people in the same place. And uh, you know, it's a big story of just sort of loving where you're from and who you are and what that means. And so I just, I mean, I actually watched this film um, for Truth and Reconciliation Day. Uh, I saw it out. I was like, you know what? It's Truth and Reconciliation Day. I'm going to like actually look for some Indigenous art to to 
you know, enjoy on this day. And this movie had sort of just sort of come out um, on VOD maybe that week. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in, this is an easy buy for me. Uh, and uh, I watched it. I loved it. And then I recommended it to everybody like all day. I was just like, everybody needs to watch this movie. It's great. You know, what a great way to, to sort of think about, um, yeah, to me, like, uh, I think it's important to to not always go to the stories of trauma and and go mm. to go to other other stories because there are so many stories to tell and uh, you can still get all of that great like I said you know them sort of learning to love who they are and learning to accept who they are and learning to fight for who they are in the middle of this like Goonies esque <laughs> thing remake uh, which was just so much fun it was so much fun. Um, I will say, um, big, uh, you know, uh, nod to Guelph. There was only one sort of actor in it that I could tell, and that was uh, Sean Benson, who is from Guelph. We went to high school <laughs> together. He's also in this film as one of the um, sort of uh, uh, police officers who he's uh, not a good guy. He's pretty racist. It's pretty gross, but he does it well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kudos to Sean Benson, um, <laughs> wherever he is. Uh, but Peter, uh, it's your turn with your number five. Uh, what do you have for us? Okay, so for number five, I went in a little controversial direction. Oh, boy. Uh, and I picked uh, Andrew Dominic's Blonde. You did what? I picked Andrew Dominic's Blonde. I, this year... There were so many biopics. They're all shoved into my face and everywhere. And this was a standout. And I think all of the acting, for the most part, was remarkable. I think it had a lot of flaws. Absolutely. But I think it's a very interesting direction for a biopic, especially from a director who's good at that kind of film. Andrew Dominic, he's good at a little sprinkle of art going around there. I, uh, I, I hadn't seen any of his works uh, filmed since Assassination of Jesse James by the misunderstood Robert Ford. But, uh, you know, so I'm <laughs> not actually something. the title. I, uh, well, <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, I was hyped for this. Um, and, yeah, it paid off for me. I do. I, I like I understand its flaws. Absolutely. Um, I do. I think the reason why it was a bit easier for me, because I do understand it is a very important celebrity woman. It's directed by a guy. I personally was a huge fan of uh, the book, the blonde novel. Um, and I do know that the author Joyce Carol Oates was a huge fan of the film. So I kind of kept that in my mind, but I do understand people's dislike of it for it's, you know, sexist elements of that nature uh, regarding the director. But uh, I really do think it was a marvelous portrayal of Marilyn Monroe. Anna de Armas was spectacular. I think you could say what you want about uh, the flow of the film. It can be a little messy, but she really, um, she lived up to the expectations. And uh, the makeup, especially, like she's, you know, she's uh, Latin American and, and she looked more like Marilyn Monroe than Marilyn Monroe did sometimes. It was, it was very impressive. Uh, I also thought all of the supporting actors were perfect. Uh, Adrian Brody as Arthur Miller was spectacular. Uh, and Bobby Cannavale. Um, I watched the recent Netflix, The Watcher, and he's 
it's bad. It's not good. So seeing Bobby <laughs> Cannavale do really great in this uh, as Joe DiMaggio was fun. Um, I think it was also a needed portrayal of Joe DiMaggio. I, um, in my mind, I'm not a baseball guy. So for me, Joe DiMaggio is just someone who dunks their donuts, right? Like the Seinfeld, he just dunks his donuts. So I learned through Blonde, like how awful and abusive of an mm. individual he is. And I, I did it well. Um, and also, like I was saying, his art aspects, even though a hit and a miss, I thought there were more of a hit. I thought it was very interesting to portray all the scenes where her head wasn't in the right space uh, in black and white. And I thought the interesting edits to the faces and the way she viewed them when she was on the drugs was also uh, very interesting. Again, kind of in, I understand people's flaw with that if they want just more of a direct uh, biopic, but uh, that's not really what you should expect from Dominic. And uh, Marilyn Monroe, she loved Hollywood. She loved the arts. I, I she maybe like this. I'm not sure, you know. But uh, yeah. So even though I do understand some of its flaws, I picked Blonde because the acting is spectacular, and I think it's a special way to show a biopic. Something that uh, is rare to see, uh, especially with Elvis, because Elvis tried a bit with Tom Hanks tried to make it, I don't know, artsy or more more hip or whatever. Uh, but I found <laughs> that actually failed more than some of the um, interesting uh, attempts that Andrew Dominic made. Very interesting visual choices. So yeah, number five for me. I understand why it's controversial, but Blonde. Interesting. Uh, I, I do agree. Blonde looks great, uh, has great acting. Ana de Armas is wonderful. I will never watch it again. Because right. you'd be you're, it's you're Marilyn Monroe the, uh, torture porn. <laughs> number number six for me was Don't Worry, Darling. So you're uh, oh, you're lucky you didn't, you're lucky you didn't do top ten. Uh, yes. All right. Uh my number five is Sarah Dusa's uh documentary Fire of Love, which is about Maurice and Katia Kraft, who were volcanologists. They actually died in a volcano eruption in 1991. And the, so the film is made up entirely of their archival footage. Um, mostly their the, the stuff they shot, but also like TV appearances and things like that. Um, and you wouldn't think, you know, going into a movie, watching uh, a documentary about two scientists who die in a volcano explosion would be particularly upbeat or romantic or um, make you hopeful about life. This actually does. Um, you know, they were soulmates. They were in love with each other and they were also in love with volcanoes. I think they died exactly how they would have wanted to have died. And I think that's kind of beautiful. I think this is going to be an episode of Strange Thoughts, but um, it's so funny. At times, there's a scene where Maurice and a colleague get in a rubber raft and go out into like a lake that's almost pure sulfuric acid. And they kind of get stranded out there. And it's supposed to be like, I mean, I guess it, if you were probably Maurice Kraft's significant other and you were watching this happen in real time and he couldn't get back to land because the winds on the lake were pushing the dinghy around and it's not like you can stick your hand in the thing and paddle away because it's sulfuric acid. I mean, I imagine that would be pretty harrowing. But in the context of the movie, it's a pretty funny sequence. But um, <laughs> there are a lot of positive lessons about doing what you love and enjoying the mysteries and beauty of nature um, especially these gigantic things uh, that sometimes spew molten rock everywhere or poisonous clouds. And the great thing is F Fire of Love is on Disney Plus, And there's also another National Geographic documentary on Disney Plus about Mount St. Helens. There is a Mount St. Helens segment in Fire of Love. So you got a nice double bill there. So um, Fire of Love, 
nice, solid, life-affirming 90 minutes about two people who got killed by a volcano. And that's my number five. So now we've come to four. And Tim, why don't you tell us about your number four? Thanks, Adam. So my number four is Marcel, the shell with shoes on, mm-hmm. which is a weird and wonderful movie and the best film this year about a one inch tall talking seashell with one googly eye and a pair of miniature shoes. Definitely. Who lives with his grandmother and his pet ball of lint. It's definitely <laughs> the best movie capturing that demographic. Um, so it's live action, stop motion, animated mockumentary comedy drama film. Thanks, Wikipedia, for that description. Um, and it was directed by Dean Fleischer Camp, and it's his first movie. And it was co-written with his ex-wife Jenny Slate, and as well as Nick Paley. And the movie's based on the award-winning 2010 short of the same name. And there were two sequels uh, that went viral on YouTube in 2011 and 2014. I never watched those at the time, but after this movie, I went back and I watched them. They're they're funny, cute. Um, yeah, I can see why they went viral. The movie though, I think ups the stakes a lot. I think this is really well done. The 90 minute feature. Um, uh, so Jenny Slate, uh, who does the voice of Marcel, she does an excellent job doing that. And she is uh, successful now. She's a actress, comedian, and author. She was on Saturday Night Live briefly, and she's the voice of Tammy Larson on Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. Um, but she first performed the Marcel voice to make her husband, Dean Fleischer Camp, laugh uh, many years ago, like over a decade ago. And, and now they're divorced, and they make this movie, this ambitious film together, um, which is wild, wild to me. Um, and Dean is actually in it. Um, the filmmaker's in it. He plays Dean, the documentary filmmaker, who moves into an Airbnb uh, following the dissolution of his marriage uh, to discover Marcel's there with his grandmother, Nana Connie, mm-hmm. and the pet ball of Lint, Alan, mm-hmm. are living there. <laughs> and, uh, and then Dean starts documenting Marcel's daily activities and documentary style, following him around. What, what does he do to pass the day? And then how meta that goes viral (laughs) in this movie on YouTube. He posted on YouTube and it goes viral. And um, like Jenny Slate's amazing in this, but also Isabella Rossellini, every bit the, her equal as the quirky Nana Connie who gardens with her friends, the insects. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately uh, it's a really funny movie, but there are, you know, some sad elements um, so the grandmother is going through dementia and her health's deteriorating. So we have Marcel dealing with that. And also Marcel, once everything goes viral on YouTube, very disillusioned with social media fame, <laughs> people coming to their house to try to spot, uh, Marcel influencers trying to take selfies in front of their window and stuff like that. So he's not a fan of, of that. Uh, and and it's really fun. There's some good cameos too. Leslie Stahl from 60 Minutes is in it because that's who they, um, the grandmother and Marcel love to watch 60 Minutes on TV. They're big Leslie Stahl fans, and she ends up actually showing up in the movie, uh, which is awesome. And this movie, like I said, it's uh, you know multi hyphenated movie here with all the going on, but it it is. Uh, it can be nominated for an Oscar for Best Animated Film. The distributor, mm-hmm. A24, 
had to prove that over 75% of it was animated to the academy. <laughs> I don't know if to write them a letter and, and send them clips or what they do, but so it could be up for an Oscar for best animated. And I hope it does get a nomination. And uh, I really enjoyed watching it in the theater. And I remember when we reviewed it, Adam, it's really good mm-hmm. for kids as well. Like you said mm-hmm. at the theater you were in, there were a bunch of kids there and they enjoyed sitting watching it for a full 90 minutes you know had their attention so it's quite the achievement when adults love it kids love it gets their attention for the whole time so Mm -hmm. highly recommend my number four marcel the shell with shoes on perfect and marcel may make a future appearance on this list uh spoiler alert candace uh what is your number four Yes. So uh, speaking of films that should be nominated for Oscars, um, but likely will not, um, also an A24 film. And frankly, I'm shocked it's this low on the list, but it was a really good year for films. Uh, (laughs) And that's Pearl, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, also joins a very short list of uh, sequels that are better than the original. Um, And I would say with Pearl, you don't actually have to watch X to get anything out of Pearl, but Pearl is the the sort of continuation or the the prequel to X, which also came out this year um, or very late 2021. I don't actually remember. But uh, yeah, so uh, Mia Goth just um, takes this character of Pearl and uh, God makes us feel so sorry for her. And she is a horrible murderous (laughs) person. She's... She's a very she's a she's an evil person with um a lot of uh, a lot of issues and yet also, she also defiles a scarecrow. Yes, yes, that might actually be the like least. It's her least. It's her least thing. evil. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um you know this is it's incredible. It's a period piece. Uh, the costumes are beautiful. The color is incredible. Um, I think the reason why. I probably don't have it as the top is because my other the other films in my my list are are more interesting or more unique than this one. This kind of feels like classic cinema. You know, it follows, you know, it it follows a lot of the same beats. You kind of know where it's going though. Some of the uh <laughs> some of the uh attacks are a little more shocking than others, but um it just, it really feels like classic old world cinema. And the fact that Pearl as a character really sort of loves um, that world and wants to be famous, I think really uh, makes sense why it has this this sort of feel to it. Ty West, of course, is, you know, so good at making films that are really set in a, a place and time and that feel like that place and time. And I think Pearl is like, I mean, this is, we all you've heard it a million times, but it's basically Wizard of Oz mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. with a except Dorothy kills people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and of course, Mia Goth, like you can't say anything about this performance that that doesn't include the word stunning. Like it's just, um, yeah, yeah, like absolutely Oscar worthy performance. But like I said, uh, Oscars don't really. I don't really uh, do that sort of thing very often. Um, I'm not even sure if I think actually a 24 has put in a bid for them. I think they did do a bit of a campaign, but we'll see what happens <laughs> with that. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm all for that campaign. I'm just curious if she does get a nomination, what clip from Pearl would they show during the broadcast? Because uh, that's that's going to be a tough call. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it has to be the like almost ten minute long monologue at the end. Yeah, <laughs> just that's right. What what part of it? <laughs> that's right. Uh, Peter, wow us with your number four. Okay, so number four for me, uh, I picked, even though I bashed it in my previous discussion, uh, Elvis. Uh, I thought, um, even though Tom Hanks, like I said, was was very flawed. Uh, again, I know I already mentioned it in the review, but what bugged me is his voice is so extravagant, so like, you know, <laughs> Swedish or, or, or whatever. And it's, it's not how that guy actually sounded. He sounded just like American, you know? I, I just, I don't know what Tom Hanks... What he was using to create his character. I just, I don't, I don't get it. But pushing that aside, Austin Butler did one of the best uh, biopic performances that I have seen since Denzel Washington as Malcolm X, maybe. You know, he, he was spectacular. He was Elvis Presley. There wasn't a second where I thought otherwise. Mm. Um, and when it comes to the film as a whole, aside from the Tom Hanks, uh, I thought the cinematography was definitely a Baz Luhrmann, but I think Elvis would be okay with uh, the extravagance, especially um, when it was dominantly in Las Vegas. There was just a lot of a lot of brightness, a lot of flashiness that we've seen, and you know Moulin Rouge or um, Great Gatsby, even. Um, and even before the Las Vegas, one of my favorite parts was showing where Elvis was raised and the music that they let us hear the soul and it was just it was marvelous it was music i hadn't heard and uh one of my favorite performances was the individual shanka dukuris who's passed away unfortunately who played big mama thornton mm -hmm. uh someone i my parents loved her i personally had not heard of her and um it was really nice through elvis to see even if just a couple scenes how much she affected his life and his musical choices um, even though, of course, Elvis is still an issue, you know, white white casting sort of thing. I think the film uh, dealt with that in a very good way. It, it honestly, it dealt with it more than I think a lot of people uh, thought it would. Um, but again, just I got to go back to Austin Butler. It really was through him. Um, Olivia de Joan as Priscilla Presley was great as well, but it really was Austin Butler. Um, I think something needed to be pointed out uh, in Blondes. And in last year, maybe two years ago, Bohemian Rhapsody, mm. the singing, the singing isn't done. It's not done by the main actor, you know, blonde that she's not really a singer. That makes more sense. But, um, you know, Freddie Mercury, it wasn't him doing it. Mm. Um, you know, it, it was uh, it was Austin Butler. He did. He did all the singing. I think there was just one of the last songs and because it just wanted to intertwine a young Elvis voice with more of an older one. It was kind of the finale of the film wanted to incorporate, of course, a real Elvis note, something he was singing. So I yeah. thought that was miraculous. It was, you know, on par with, um, obviously I don't approve of the actor, but uh, Gary Busey's <laughs> buddy Holly, he, he did all <laughs> the music himself. So it was kind of, um, I love that film too. So it, it, it reminded me of that. And it was really good to see someone doing that. Um, I'm also guiltily a Zoe 101 fan and Austin <laughs> Butler, amazing replacement, the best season with him. So there was a, a pinch of that, a sprinkle of that for sure in my reasoning for choice, but I love Baz Luhrmann. He did a great job 
but you know, screw him, screw Tom Hanks, <laughs> screw everybody. Austin <laughs> Butler, he's the reason. You're the best man. So yeah, number four, Elvis. I hope he's listening. Uh, my number four is uh, Todd Field's Tar, uh, the story of a very famous uh, composer played by Kate Blanchett, who uh, kind of implodes, uh, perhaps because of her um, her own, uh, shall we say, indulgences. Uh, I've seen a lot of people debate: it's is this movie pro cancel culture? Is it anti cancel culture? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it even cares because I think Todd, I think Todd Fields as a filmmaker is, is always comes from the point of view. It's like, people aren't good. People aren't bad. They're just people. And I, you know, I, I feel that in little, little children, which was his last movie 16 years ago, which is a movie about how an entire neighborhood is scared to death of a pedophile or an accused pedophile who ends up being a hero in the end. Meanwhile, the two main characters are, you know, uh, having an affair and as they're, you know, they're taking care of their, each other's kids and, you know, they're sleeping together um, as their kids are napping. So it, it, I don't think Todd Fields is concerned about who's a hero and who's a villain. I think in the case of Tar, the real question is at what point does the movie stop being real? And, and at what point does maybe the movie start pivot into what's if, if, Everything that ha- is happening, everything you're watching is maybe happening in Tar's head, in Lydia Tar's head. That's the interesting question. There are supernatural elements in this that never get answered, uh, but you kind of ignore them. The movie begins and you kind of like feel the coldness of the characters because these are a bunch of like high class people with their heads up their own asses. But then slowly it becomes more subjective and you start seeing things from Lydia Tar's point of view. And it's really pretty incredible just how how weaselly and wormy this this film is in terms of like getting in your head and letting you get inside Tar's head. And yeah, I, it's one of these movies where you can talk about it from five different directions and they all make sense and everybody has good arguments. This is a movie you go to and then you go to, you know, a bar or a restaurant or a coffee shop and then you talk about it for two hours with with your friends. So um, I highly recommend Tar. If only we need to encourage Todd Phillips to make films more than once every two decades. I mean, this was Terrence Malick level of like non-productiveness in the last few years. So um, please, Todd Fields, make more films. So, Tim, uh, that brings us to number three. Thanks, Adam. My number three is The Northman, mm-hmm. uh, the epic berserk historical action thriller, which was directed by Robert Eggers who directed The Lighthouse, which blew my mind a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plot is based on the legend of Amleth, who ins- which inspired Hamlet. And I grew up in Stratford, Ontario, so I got my fill of Shakespeare growing up, uh, so much <laughs> so that one year I took a science fiction English class instead of taking the regular, actually to avoid Shakespeare. But nice. um, my last year we did Hamlet, and that one really connected with me. I, I really got it i was like wow light bulb moment i get what this is about and everything about it the madness the revenge the obsession with death hamlet's fatal flaw of procrastination i thought it was all interesting in 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 that um and the brilliance of the play within a play so i'm big hamlet fan and so i didn't know northman was based on this or the precursor to hamlet so that was a nice surprise uh it is different though the plot follows amleth 
well, it's somewhat different. Once I say this, you might think it's the same, but the plot follows Amleth, who's a Viking prince who sets out on a quest to avenge the murder of his father. Um, it's heavily influenced by Norse mythology. And there are some really wild scenes in this movie where people are acting like animals, a band of berserkers marauding a village and ripping men off horses and beating them to a pulp. And I'm not always for violence, but in this case, I am for violence in this movie. Um, I love the operatic intensity of the violence. Uh, and I couldn't keep my eye off eyes off of it. And I lucky enough to see it in a theater. So yet more of that, that full experience. And it was the action and direction that really grabbed me. So yeah, kudos to Robert Eggers. Uh, but the cast is excellent as well. Alexander Skarsgård is spot on as Amleth. Clay's Bang is Amleth's devious uncle. And he does a really credible job as that. And Anya Taylor-Joy, I think, is terrific as Amleth's love interest, Olga. And Ethan Hawke is his usual tremendous self as Amleth's father. Could have used a little bit more of Ethan Hawke in the film. Could have used a little more Willem Dafoe as well. He plays Mare the Fool. Um, and it's just wild what he does. And I actually had to go back and read and like slate magazine says, Jaime the fool makes dick jokes and officiates <laughs> werewolf bar mitzvahs. So, um, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty wild. Uh, he's the one there for all when they're a- acting like dogs and doing the weird rituals. Um, and it's a very unhinged performance. And Willem Dafoe was also in the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would have liked to see more of him because he's so terrific in the lighthouse. Uh, he he kind of disappears partway through through uh, through the Northmen, uh, and then Bjork pops up, and she brings she takes the mantle of crazy, playing the seeress in this as well. And then also Nicole Kidman is very good in this because early on in the movie, I'm like Nicole Kidman's a star of this film. We've barely heard like five words from her. It's like halfway through the movie, what's going on. And then she, and, and you think, you think of her as sort of like this victim. And, and then she just delivers this most devastating monologue about what's really going on in her head and just how evil she is. And it's just brilliant. So kudos definitely to Nicole Kidman on this. And yeah, it was one of those movies, I think there's high expectations for Robert Eggers and it came out and I think. Uh, spring or summer mm. might have got kind of lost in the mix uh, but just for its grandeur and the relentless action i'd pick northman as my third best movie of 2022 uh yeah it just barely fell off my top 10 unfortunately candace your number three please all right um this is a wild one folks um it is uh it's shocking to me that this movie uh, has made my top five of the year. Um, it is uh, again, it, it joins a small group of films where the sequel was better than the original. Um, and I can recommend it to almost no one. And that's terrifier too. <laughs> uh, so, but you know what? Uh, this isn't, you know, our most recommended, this is our top five. And this movie was incredible it was it was shockingly good i don't understand how a i mean i have strict limits on how long i want to sit in the theater for and this movie broke it immensely (laughs) it's like two hours and 20 minutes long a horror movie that's two hours and 20 minutes long what is going on here how was this movie so good i do not understand um the 
so the the first I, I don't even like I don't like this style of horror film. This is the first movie I watched as part of a watch party. It's terribly acted. Dialogue is bad. It's basically just a feature length way for these people who are really into special effects to show all these incredible special effects that they can do by making this horrible murderous clown who does all these things. The one sort of nice thing about the film, the first film, is really the actor who plays Art the Clown. They sort of created this really iconic kind of bad guy. And the um, person who plays him is um, Art the Clown is silent at all times. He's kind of a mime. Um, and so the actor who who plays him is a bit of a comedian and has this incredible like physical comedy sort of um, ability. So he like the a clown was very iconic. That was the only sort of good thing about the first Terrifier. Terrifier 2, I was like, who needs this? Nobody needs this. Um, but I went kind of to dare myself because people were leaving the audience for this film. And so I went and it was incredible. Um, it is so well lit, which is totally strange for a horror film. It's incredibly well lit. It's really well acted, uh, which is so different from the first film. It actually has a story. We follow this really incredible um, sort of family of people who are dealing with an immense amount of trauma and have their own sort of internal issues, which they have to deal with. And then now there's this Art the Clown here who's who's chasing them. And uh, it creates this, this really powerful sort of um, final, final characters, which is great. Uh, Art the Clown, of course, the same actor who played him, who is uh, David Howard Thornton, is, again, great. Like, I, I sort of wish that these films weren't as incredibly violent and graphic and gory as they were. So I could recommend it to more people, but honestly <laughs> don't watch this film. Like there is a, I don't know, 10 minute long torturous scene. Uh, this is typically the scene where people leave the theater. I didn't mind it so much. Cause again, it's so well lit. I can see, I can see that this is just the guys going, look what we can do. Watch. We can make it look like she's really being scalped. And it's totally. I wasn't offended. I can see the torture. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's 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 awful. It's very, very violent. Don't watch it. But I loved it. I I cannot believe how good this movie was. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm going to save it for Christmas Day. Peter, what's your number three? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so number three for me, um, 2022, I think the reason, one of the reasons I loved it so much, even more than 2000, uh, 2021 um, comedies, there was some actually really good comedies. I'm a comedy guy. There was some that were like a reboot that I would not have fathomed them being then as funny. Uh, Christmas Story Christmas was surprisingly really well done. I actually personally prefer it uh, to the original, I would say. Uh, and then Confess Fletch, like the original Fletch with Chevy Chase is miraculous. Like I, I did not, Confess Fletch was maybe as good. It was, it, it was at least as funny. It was, so that why it was so tough for me to pick. But I went with the even more special comedy, uh, Bros. Uh, I thought Bros, it was just so sad how it didn't do well at the box office because it is, it's not just a comedy. It's, it's 
a fantastic comedy and one that really does display and deal with the LGBTQ society group, uh, museums, all of that in a really, really well done way. Um, and a very like well fo focused way on the museum in New York. And it's important because LGBTQ plus museums, archives, there's like globally three, three actual main ones. And uh, the film Bros dealt with the New York opening of one of them, which I thought was uh, very important. And the display of the setup was so funny. It was, it was the people who were, you know, representing uh, the lesbians is Dot, who is she's people everybody would know her as the coach in glee she's been a part of the lesbian community and you know sitcoms the tv world for decades now uh, she was hilarious in it uh and then jim rash everybody knows is the dean he as a bisexual man himself represented the bisexual part of the group uh and it it was phenomenal their arguments you know lesbian bi uh, but then their unions, you know, when they realize we got to do this together to open this museum, it's, you know, closing, opening again, all the people they had to go to to get money. It's a very, very interesting, young, richy, rich gay men. It was very <laughs> fun scenes. Uh, and I understand why a lot of people can find him annoying. His voice is extravagant. A little, a little annoying, but I personally love Billy Ackner. I love his <laughs> comedic uh, street Q and A's he'll do. Uh, and what stood out for me is I hadn't seen him in anything, but his lover and the co-star, uh, Luke McFarland. Luke McFarland was phenomenal. Uh, he's like, he's in so many Hallmark films, holiday Hallmark films, and this film <laughs> jabbed them so much, including himself, that I, I thought that was hilarious. And also personally for me. Um, I love Harvey Milk. I have uh, in history and archives uh, done projects on the GLBT historical archives in San Francisco, which for briefly till the New York one was the only uh, archive area for, you know, LGBTQ plus. Um, so it did that well and uh, bashing, bashing all of the uh, Hallmark. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, the Harvey Milk, why I mentioned him. One of my favorite jokes, it's so simple, but at the opening of the museum, one of the main treats was Harvey Milk Duds. And yeah. I just, it's so simple. It made me laugh. It made me laugh for a while. I love Harvey Milk. I love Milk Duds. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. So yeah, there was just some regular jokes like that, but then some really important ones that do deal with, you know, the gay community, uh, but not, the characters are just gay. It deals with the gay community. It's not a film like like milk about that it's it's just a comedy starring two gay dudes and it's it's really funny and something i would recommend to anybody if you like to laugh all Catch right boys. yeah <laughs> um Catch bros sorry bros i was gonna was catch gonna... the boys too on amazon it's great but catch this film bros two entirely different projects bros and boys um my number three is uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Uh, so, you know, ditto to everything Tim said. Um, I will add that this has been like a really great year for animation and also a really great year for stop motion animation because you have this. You have Mad God with, you know, Phil Tippett's 30-year project about some soldier's descent into hell. And uh, there's the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio on, on Netflix, too. So... Um, this was a really great year for the artistry and soul of of stop motion animation. Marcel 
breaks the mold because it's a mix of live action and mockumentary and uh, animation. And yeah, as Tim said, like I was at a Saturday night screening and kids were there and they sat there all 90 minutes quietly. No kid got up to go to the bathroom or anything like that. They were just transfixed. It's a, it's a story about love and a story about friendship and a, about exploration and, you know, the quiet moments and the importance of family. Um, it's, it's, it's beautiful in so many ways, but it's also like got a lot of great singers in it as well. And it's got a, great performances and a great Leslie Stahl cameo, as Tim said. So that's my number three, which means it is time for a break. We're going to take a quick breather and then come right back with the top two. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. You've got a little bit of a raisin, which I really don't think you're going to finish. But you can go to town. Go to town. <laughs> also, you have two drips of water. Look over here. What? You have two drips of water. you got an LED flashlight in case the power goes out. you just got to step on it like this. See? See how it's... Whoa. What? Sorry. Muddled stand right in front of it. Finally, this is the sparkler. What you do is you light this end on fire, and then you step back. This can act as a flare, all right? What would I need? That's if you need a signal for help. And Dean's going to leave you his phone just in case. What? We'll see the flare. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, why don't we just put the colander over you now if you want? 
How's that? You must let me out of here. Okay, so uh, that was a, a bit of music there from the album Colder Streams, which is the latest from the Sadies. And that song is called End Credits. I don't know if they're going to play it when they appear at Hillside Inside in February, but I definitely think they should. And I might put in a request. And after that, it was a clip from Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which made two of our top five lists for the year. Time will tell if it makes another one's top 10 list. So getting back to our list, uh, we are at number two. Tim, begin us again with your second pick. All right. Thanks, Adam. My number two pick is The Worst Person in the World, which is a Norwegian black comedy drama taking place in Oslo, directed by Joachim Trier, and it stars Renata Rensiv. Probably butchered her name, but it's a breakthrough performance uh, that won her Best Actress Oscar, or Best Actress, not Oscar, award at the Cannes Film Festival in 2021. Uh, but it was tough. This didn't get released in North America really until 2022. It was throughout Europe in late 2021. Um, so it took a minute to get here to North America, but it was well worth the wait. I'm not a big fan of the title of the movie, The Worst Person in the World. I don't know if it really, from a marketing perspective, draws people in to want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, uh, The Worst Person in the World is a fitting, sarcastic way of describing the lead character, Julie because she's by no means the worst person in the world. Got Vladimir Putin out there with all <laughs> kinds of people who are worse than she is. Well, you can but, compare anyone to Vladimir Putin. Yeah, <laughs> but she's flawed like all of us, and that makes the character relatable. She makes a variety of decisions throughout, good, bad, and ugly decisions that affect her life in many different ways. Uh, and the film's interesting. It's presented in chapters. So the first chapter is a prologue where we meet Julie. She's a medical student in Oslo uh, before she decides to switch her major to psychology and break up with her boyfriend. And then she dates a professor uh, for a short period of time. Then she decides she wants to take up photography. And while she's with her next boyfriend, who's a model, they're at a party. She meets Axel, who's an acclaimed comic book artist, who's 15 years older than her. And the two hit it off and they begin a relationship. And from there, Julie dabbles in writing Um, Axel pressures her to have kids. She doesn't want to have kids. And she ends up crashing a wedding reception. She just goes, starts drinking booze at their wedding reception (laughs) and in this house, mingling with people she doesn't know. And she meets uh, a new man, the love of her life, Ivan. And there's a really fascinating scene between Ivan and Julie characters where they spend the night not cheating. So they go, they do all these things that, and they're saying, well, this is not technically cheating. And they go through this litany of really intimate activities that are non-sexual, but they're intimate. And it's interesting to look at that scene from that perspective and how that brings them closer, even though they haven't officially cheated. And, um, but yeah, the question is, uh, intimacy is that, you know, isn't that cheating? So that's a moral dilemma for her. And so it's really fully fleshed out character. She has her father who's very neglectful of her. There's this very interesting scene where 
she she's on drugs, I believe, on the scene, a drug induced fantasy of what she's going to do to her father. That gets pretty wild and out there. Uh, and uh, and then there's another scene where she's with Axel, who's the comic book artist, and she just stops. Everything stops um, <laughs> so she can go see Ivan. So everyone's just like freeze frame in that moment. And she leaves Axel's apartment, runs out in the street through Oslo. You get a really good perspective of Oslo and Norway. And, you know, what What a cool city it is. I'm sure it's like uber expensive to go there, given what I'm saying. <laughs> but you see her running through the streets and she goes and sees Ivan um, while everyone's still. And she shares some moments with Ivan and then comes back and everybody's back back to their regular routine. So I really like that scene. Um, the film has some things to say about dealing with illness and death. It, it has some me too moments in there as well, but I felt it was really centered on the character of Julie. And she's not just, she's not the worst person in the world. She's just trying to get better like <laughs> most people. So uh, unlike, I think, unlike Putin. Yeah. Unlike Putin, that's what makes him the worst person in the world. Mm. According to me, I know that's controversial to say that, but uh, so <laughs> number two on my list is the worst person in the world. All right, Candace, uh, number two time for you. Can't wait to see what it is. Yes. Um, I think, I think finally I might be arriving at the more uh, natural selections here. Uh, <laughs> number two on my list is uh, Jordan Peele's Nope. Oh, yeah. Um, which uh was great. I think Jordan Peele is a really um a really great voice, really unique voice, and is making films that I think we really need to see. Um this film uh I, I think is my is actually my favorite of his simply because of the way it made me feel. I mean, Get Out was incredible. Uh, and possibly his actually best film, but this one just, I just like this one better because at the end of the movie, I could not stop smiling. I was like, I've never <laughs> smiled at the end of a Jordan Peele movie. This is incredible. It's great. It's just this, um, I mean, it's also, it's just gorgeous. It's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, beautiful scenery. He really, really, um, expands the view of everything you know when you look at some of his other films there's a lot of like smaller closer shots on faces and in fact he still uses that a lot um daniel kaluuya of course to very good measure they actually you know really frame him often in very dark scenes so the only thing that comes off the the screen really are his eyes which are just so um you can see so much in them so his performance is great and you get this even though this is just big, huge, wide open spaces, sometimes you get this sort of feeling of dread and of like, can I, how small can I make myself right now? Mm -hmm. Just by the way they sort of sh shoot Daniel Kaluuya. Incredible movie of like, uh, are we allowed to give spoilers? Do people know that it's actually sci fi now? It's a sci fi. I think, I think film. we're safe. We're yeah. safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um this is this is a sort of a sci-fi creature feature uh that just um i think gives us in some ways like who we all are like you know a lot of us probably watch creature features and it's fun to see people like they're in this danger thing there's a lot of stuff going on but the reality is that these characters just want the money shot 
<laughs> of the creature feature of, of the creature because there's like you know the Oprah we're shot. gonna yeah everybody everybody's gonna want to see our <sighs> our shot of this and i think that there's a lot more of us who are probably a little more curious or just like we're gonna be so famous for having <laughs> like discovered this or seen this or found this um and a little less uh, pragmatic about our safety <laughs> Yeah. Around it, uh, so it is fun to see. Uh, pretty much everybody in this movie is that way. They have created this sort of ca- cast of characters who are all uh, involved in show business in some way. So it is as Eddie Jordan Peele movie is. It does have many many layers, and you can you can read a lot into it. And there's a lot to say here about hollywood about the industry how it sort of churns people out how it traumatizes people and treats them poorly and then just leaves them to go open a ranch in the middle of nowhere by themselves with like zero (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) zero support um but yet at the same time there's uh, you know, sort of the the final like 30 minutes of this film when they're they're chasing chasing down or or you know baiting the creature and uh it's just it's so much fun and um spoiler alert they get the shot and and we just feel so happy for them i just felt so happy i was like this is this leaves me just so happy and i've never felt that at the end of a jordan peele movie how they get the shot is is also remarkable too um, which we shouldn't spoil, but yeah. Uh, nope. I think a lot of people are coming around back around to Nope. Um, I've heard it on more than a couple of top 10 lists, so um, I think that's good news. The chimpanzee freaked me out. I, st- I kept thinking about the scene in Gordy's home. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care. It was actually like gorier and scarier than some of his uh, works prior. I think yeah. people are just finally realizing that it's like it's not a direct horror like the first two. So people are viewing it more now as like a sci-fi or whatever. And that's, I think, yeah, helping. I've seen it on more lists too. And personally, uh, is also my favorite of his three. All right, then, Peter, what is your number two then? Better be All known. right. Number this. <laughs> no, <laughs> nope. Um, this, this was difficult. The, I want, I pick between one and two is difficult. Number two for me is Jackass forever. Uh, Jackass one to three were a huge part of my life. Uh, and this one, it's, you know, what, uh, 2010, what year are we at? 2022? We're at 2020, 12, yeah. 12, <laughs> 12 years after, and it's just as spectacular as as the first two and the third. Uh, I would say it is actually better than the third. Uh, the third is a bit too extravagant at times. It becomes more uh, like Nitro Circus or even uh, Evil Knievel. Uh, something where it's more just directly the stunt as opposed to just some some wackiness and some hooligans and uh, Jackass Forever. There's, there's a lot of that. And I think it was really genius of Jeff Tremaine and Knoxville to hire new crew because they were actually the standouts. Uh, Sean Poopies, uh, he's most people's favorite. Uh, the dumb blondie. He was hilarious. Like he was just every word he said, every syllable. It made me laugh. And uh, Jasper, if you're an Odd Future fan, it's amazing seeing him uh, succeed and continue after his, I'm using finger quotes here because he didn't really, his hip hop, you know, he was kind of with like Tyler the Creator. He didn't really do, but yeah, it's great to see him successful. Uh, one of the standouts though is his uh, formerly imprisoned for murder father, Dark Shark, being one of the funniest. And he does like some of the craziest stunts, uh, but he also, could get the most scared which is funny because he's the only one who's seen 
the real shiz, you know? Um, so just, just that, just, it's, it's, it's so hard to group all these people, including new ones and those that have had, you know, beef together, uh, you know, Steve-O and Johnny didn't used to get on, um, but it just felt so natural. And the um, guest appearances uh, were just like they were in the ones prior. Uh, phenomenal. Um, I thought that um, Eric Andre was very funny in the, uh, his, his cameos. Um, just like I think, uh, uh, like Matt, for example, like Matt Hoffman in the original Jackass, or I think even like Matt Damon in the one. It's 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 like that. It's very natural, but uh, it's fun. Rob Deerdeck is another one, uh, a good appearance, and uh, Machine Gun Kelly uh, actually has a surprisingly very impressive stunt. So, um, just when it comes to the love that all Jackasses have, the camaraderie, and that being. Uh, something still existing in 2022 for them uh, and how original fun, but not too extravagant in your face. The stunts were uh, yeah. Jackass forever was really great. I'm glad it did so well. And I hope more uh, will still watch it. So yeah. Number two, Jackass forever. I have to confess. I almost put it on my list too. It's, it's so elegant in its simplicity it's it it just feel it feels pure in a way that sometimes movies just don't it just it's it, it, i i thought jackass forever was a delight and i i don't yeah, and i don't fun. bring i don't bring peter's fondness for the franchise it just, um my second uh number two pick is also a black comedy it is the banshees i'm in a sheeran martin mcdonough's new movie i'm a big fan of martin mcdonough's movies i love in Bruges, I loved Seven Psychopaths. Uh, I thought Three Billboards was good. I don't think it was great. Um, but this gets, I think this gets back to like some of his like theatrical roots. Um, it, it, it's a supposed to be a comedy and it's kind of marketed as a com- as, as a comedy, but it gets so dark. Um, and it's so dark to the point where it's like daring you to laugh at the stuff. It's daring you to laugh at a man cutting off his fingers um, and then walking around town with blood pouring out of his hand. And it's it's so oh, it, it's it's so I you feel bad laughing at it sometimes. And I was in the theater and I was watching it. and I was like, should I be laughing at this? Are other people laughing? Um, but it's got Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, who were like the secret sauce in Bruges because they have such great chemistry. Um, they play friends on this like small Irish island in the 1920s. You can see the Irish Civil War. It's literally across the sound. You can see bombs going off. And, um, you know, one day Brendan Gleeson's Colm says, like, well, I don't want to be friends with you anymore to Podrick, which is the Colin Farrell character. And Colin Farrell's like spending the movie trying to figure out why doesn't he want to be friends anymore? Like, uh, does he hate me? Like, what did I do? What's his problem? And it, it really is a story about how when you want to change and you're kind of in this dead end place and and you want to try to change things up and you're kind of sick of the people around you and you want to try something else like how do you do that and you get these two examples in this movie you get Podrick's sister who is like wants to go to the mainland and get a job in a library and and like make a life for herself outside this little dinky island village and she's twisting herself into knots. Like, how does she break it to Podrick? And then you have Colm who's just like, eh, screw it. I don't want to be this guy's friend anymore. So, you know, peace out. And it's it's bizarre. I don't know. I'm not really sure what he's trying to say. 
And I found it hilarious in that Vanity Fair, like director talking to director interview. They teamed up Martin McDonough with Taylor Swift. And Taylor Swift asked him, like, what's the symbolism of the fingers? And Martin McDonough's like, there's no symbolism with the fingers. So it's like, I don't think even Martin McDonough cares what you think about this movie. But it's it's bizarre. And it's funny. And it's gross. And it's disturbing. And it's like it's like one of these like Richard Curtis movies where it's a small village and everyone's a character except nobody like they're funny, but they're not like haha funny. They're pain in the ass funny. And they're kind of like darkly funny. But yeah, there's so much going on in the Banshees of Inishirin. I I can't wait to watch it again because it just it it's so bizarre. Anyway, um that's enough about number twos. Let's get to number ones. So Tim, what is your best movie of the year? Awesome. Thanks, Adam. My number one pick is Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. I uh, know it's not the much anticipated Pat Sajak and Vanna White biopic. <laughs> Rather, it's a Japanese film from the director of Drive My Car, Ryosuke Hamaguchi. Um, and you may remember he won the best international feature at the Oscars for Drive My Car. He had a young lady with a notepad inexplicably um, taking dictation while he was doing his Oscar speech. Uh, <laughs> and that was before that was before that was uh, before Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. So people might still remember that because it became a kind of a surreal mess after the slapping incident. But oh, did Will Smith slap Chris Rock at the Oscars? He did. I yeah. Newsflash. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so weird. I, I would have thought that would have made news. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, so drive my car, you know, it was a, a very good movie. I liked it a lot. It's epic, episodic three hours. Um, but wheel of fortune fantasy is different in that it's episodic, but it's designed that way. Like totally it's three short stories. So three different movies It's an anthology film. Um, and it adds up to about two hours, which is good to get that hour back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's all compelling. And uh, I think all the episodes lead up to the last one, which is amazing. So the first episode is called Magic or Something Less Assuring. Uh, focuses on two women in the back of a taxi who are talking. And one woman is telling the other about her latest love interest, uh, the president of an interior design company. Um, and turns out that uh, her friend is actually the ex of her new love interest, but that her friend doesn't say anything. She just keeps it to herself. The cab drops off her friend. She asks the cab to turn around and she goes and confronts her <laughs> ex at his place of work. And that's a, a good jumping off point for the jealousy and, uh, you know, obsessive love that happens in that, that episode. And then the second episode's called doors wide open. And it follows a woman who's attempting to do, a honey trap on a professor um, by reading an erotic passage from the professor's own book um, in his office. And she's doing this for revenge because she's, ha she's having an affair. She has a friend with benefits who has been flunked by the professor. And so she wants to trap him. And the, <laughs> the episode's called Doors Wide Open because he always keeps the door open. No matter who he's talking to, he's like, keep the door open. Um, so it's it, it's interesting because it explores sort of like me too and also the ego of the artist and that he loves that she's reading this passage to him from his own book it's you know when you think about it it's pretty uh 
you think of him sort of as a victim sometimes, but then really he's, he's, you know, the one who's kind of getting off on this whole exchange. Mm -hmm. And then episode three is once again, and I thought that was the best episode of the three. It's about a middle-aged woman who returns to her hometown, which uh, for an all girls high school reunion. And she leaves the reunion disappointed because she hasn't spotted who she came there for, which was her first love and ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And as she's leaving to take the train back to wherever she lives now, she's at the station, she sees someone and it's her ex-girlfriend and she, they're on escalators going opposite directions. And she's like, Oh, I need to talk to you. And so then they have, they have this great time together. Um, but then there's questions of like, who, who are they? Are they really, as they seem, can they resolve their past issues? Uh, and it's really good and it gets, it's very, uh, it's it just the, very sensitive performances. It's like, you're watching three short stories. Um, and you were talking before about Martin McDonough. I don't think this director Hamaguchi, <laughs> I don't think he, he cares that much about like what the audience thinks. He's just like, I'm going to do these three short stories. This is what's in my head. This is characters I want to explore. And it, it works really well. And I think it just builds and builds from episode one to episode three. Uh, and so I would, I definitely recommend it. Great performances by the whole cast. Uh, and it was one of those ones, I think it officially was released like 2021, December, late December in, in Japan. Hmm. So you might see it says like it's a 2021 movie, but there's really no chance to see it until 2022. And I was glad when I did see it early in the year mm-hmm. so my number one wheel of fortune and fantasy awesome candace your number one yes uh just just a quick note uh, about the uh, the looks i got around this table when i was talking about the violence and terrifier meanwhile <laughs> adam's laughing at someone chopping their own fingers off and Tim is rooting for violence <laughs> between berserkers and vikings <laughs> and uh jackass forever is just <laughs> like basically self-immolating i think we all maybe have a bit of a violence problem here we might um, and we, we should might. all just we should all just accept that we enjoy violence on screen yeah <laughs> i'm not enough. willing to accept it yet but i'll try <laughs> <laughs> um so my number one film uh of the year it's a five-star film it's one of the few films that i think is perfect and i do not know how you make a perfect film out of something so chaotic and dealing with the multiverse but it is everything everywhere all at once mm-hmm. um i'm not sure i could describe what this movie is about because that's sort of the point i mean the point i think i think it's just uh, about feelings about acceptance about knowing that somewhere some version of you is living their best life and at the same time, you're living your best life because we're all living our best lives in the the multiverse that we're in. Uh, so just just live with it. It was just I, I just I can't I still can't comprehend this movie. Uh, but it was it was beautiful and so well acted and so convoluted, but yet made so much sense at the end of it, like. You're just sort of left baffled, but also just going, oh, I get it. I get it. It's an everything bagel. 
it's just mm-hmm. everything everywhere all at once like it's it's just a a, a feat <laughs> that this exists that it worked so well um and yeah I, I and i think it's also come at the perfect time you know we've all had some some weird years many of us are in very strange places we don't really know what our lives hold for us anymore because so much of what we were doing was just interrupted um and this is just it's it's uh yeah it just makes you feel better just makes you feel better about everything um and cry at a weird sci-fi movie about the multiverse like it's just it's just a really it's an experience i think everybody needs to have and i think everyone will probably come with a come out with a very similar sort of feeling because it was just so well done i don't i can't like i said i just can't comprehend (laughs) this movie no it's funny it's intense it's poignant it's got great action uh michelle yo is so good um because it lets her do things that i don't think american audiences are uh, have really seen her do before it's the beginning of the great kehu kwan comeback um i'm here for it <laughs> it's yeah jamie lee curtis is in it um randy newman gets a cameo uh yeah the daniels daniel kwan daniel schmidt are are really great filmmakers because this film this movie throws so much at you like per minute and it's two hours and 20 minutes long it doesn't feel like it and that's why it's also my number one of the year so peter that just leaves you you're gonna finish us off with your number one pick of the year okay so like i said uh it was very difficult it was another sequel to one of my favorite series uh and i picked it over jackass forever because it is guaranteed it's the final one and it was a perfect conclusion uh my number one choice is clerks three from kevin smith uh i which i did view at a live q a uh no big deal uh and it really if you're a fan of the first two it's like i said it's an absolute perfect conclusion it's it's emotional uh very very emotional i uh as a fan of the first three i did tear up there's two particular times where a tear up if you're a clerks fan is i would say a guarantee it's it's a near guarantee and as per usual there's many recurring casts that he always has and every single one of them did a phenomenal job uh amy sedaris who i personally love from stranger with candy she is the main doctor she is hilarious and my favorite is uh austin zazur uh, who didn't have a single line. He was the film Silent Bob, and he was hilarious. Some <laughs> of his YouTube can be whatever, so I was a little hesitant, but it was it was funny. He was so good at the physical actions. Uh, and he's got a Wikipedia page now because of it, so good <laughs> on him for that. Uh, and he also, I was watching uh, the new episode of The Connors the other day, and he was on it. So it was good to see through Clerks through his success, because like I said, he was the new Silent Bob pretty much. He was actually kind of the betrayal of it in a film within the film and he was spectacular uh and harley quinn smith his daughter kevin smith as per usual she was great what i think though and i think why it also deserves number one uh it's editing you know he Mm. edits its own films it was spectacular uh in particular the music choice um especially i guess for my gen or or maybe gen x um it opens with uh welcome to the black parade by Chemical, chemical romance and it works 
so well. And in the Q&A, he actually talked about it's one of the first times where like Richard Linkletter does always the song came first and then he envisioned the scene and you can really mm. tell through the opening it's there. And that is heart of that nature is uh, throughout the whole film. So whether it be the miraculous casting, including new people like Austin Zazer, the amazing cameos, including uh, Ben Affleck as Boston, John, Boston, John. It's really great. <laughs> it's, it's one of the standouts, the comedic ones uh, and Justin Law too. So whether it's that uh, or the, like I said, new actors, or most of all, the heart it has, the tears it brings. Clerks 3 is a fantastic, absolutely still our tour style Kevin Smith film. So my number one pick, Clerks 3. Wow. What a journey. Um, yeah. Uh, I still have to watch Clerks 3 myself, but now I'm kind of even more intrigued. But uh, yeah, that this is this has been quite a list. 18 movies. Uh very different variety so i hope nobody's going into the new year point going bro there's nothing for me to watch because there's a lot to watch a lot to watch so that brings us to the end of the show um wow end of year what is this year five year five so we're on to year six now um thanks guys for for all your hard work and uh we will we will continue on into 2023 and see what what gems to discover in the new year, but that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to us again, you can find us on our website endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. Speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on the show. Just open up Spotify and search for end credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And we'll go around the proverbial room, starting with you, Tim. Where can people find you on the internet? On the internet, you can find me flashing the deadpan. Check me out. <laughs> Give me a like. <laughs> Share. <gasps> connect. Whatever uh, they call it. What, <laughs> pound that subscribe button. <laughs> smash. Send me smash. a letter. Send me a letter. Oh, is it, is like it smash? Yeah, send him a letter. Uh, ask him for his snail mail address. Dean is slide into his DMs. Candace, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me everywhere on the internet at sin48, that's C I N N 48, including uh, Letterboxd, where you can see all the movies I watched this year. And uh, just a heads up, the Hallmark movies are are star based on a very different uh, level than regular movies. So if you look at my movies for the year, you will see that there are a couple of uh, Hallmark films that are in the four and a half. It's not because they're better than, say, Pearl or Barbarian or Nope. It's because they're better than the other Hallmark movies. Letterbox isn't great on a curve. Good note. Peter, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, as per usual, Mr. Towerack on YouTube and Twitter. <clears throat> and That's I will it. be thank you and I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5pm for our year end wrap up on open sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz in the meantime I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca and you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca Guelph Campus and Community Radio here now and throughout 2023 meanwhile we will return next wednesday at 3 p.m for another end credits and we will see you then